We've got news for you, Songcraft fans. Live music is officially back, and the multi-platinum chart-topping band Shinedown is hitting the road this spring for the Revolutions Live Tour. Not only that, but they'll be joined by special guests and fellow chart-toppers Three Days Grace and From Ashes to New. This is a show no hard rock fan is going to want to miss. So check tour dates to see where they're playing near you and get your tickets now at LiveNation.com. Welcome to Songcraft. I'm Paul Duncan. And I'm Scott B. Bomar. You're listening to Second Chance, co-written by the frontman of multi-platinum rock band Shinedown, and our guest on this episode of Songcraft, Brent Smith. My eyes are open wide By the way I made it through the day Brent Smith is known as one of the best voices in rock, thanks to his work as the lead singer, primary lyricist, and contributing songwriter to the band Shinedown. Formed in Jacksonville, Florida, Shinedown has landed 30 singles in the top five on Billboard's mainstream rock chart. With 18 of those songs reaching the top spot, the band holds the record for the most number one singles in the chart's history. Their music has been streamed more than six and a half billion times around the globe, and 15 of their singles have been certified gold, platinum, or multi-platinum. Shinedown has sold more than 10 million records, and their latest album, Planet Zero, is continuing the trend of rock dominance. In our conversation with Brent, he shares how Otis Redding opened his eyes, why he's committed to suicide prevention, and the nuts and bolts of his writing process with the band. I just saw Haley's comet Part one. Well, you know, news cycles move quickly and um, it's easy for us sometimes to see things that are happening in the world. And a few days later, we've kind of moved on to the next thing. But uh, there's something that happened just over a week ago in Nashville, uh, which is our hometown and also probably the songwriting capital of the world. Uh, And uh, as everyone knows, um, a 28-year-old forcefully entered a, a school called the Covenant School and um, killed three staff members, uh, killed three nine-year-old students, and um, it was the 130th mass shooting in the mm-hmm. U.S. so far just this year. Um, and, and that number shocks me. You know, yeah. It's easy to become desensitized to this stuff, but this one, you know, it hits close to home because my mom and dad live two or three blocks uh, from that school. And the elementary school that I attended as a kid is directly across the street. And, um, you know, even though Paul and I uh, have lived in Los Angeles for a number of years, uh, Nashville is the place where where we grew up and will always be, uh, I think, home uh, for for both of us. Um, and it's a small town uh, yeah. in a lot of ways. And so many of us either know someone or at least know someone who knows someone who was directly affected. Yeah, and you you know you can use the the weightiest words at your disposal, tragic, horrific, and and they still don't seem to to quite describe it. Um, I was actually in Nashville. I, I flew in on Monday uh, after seeing the news and uh, spent the week there writing. Uh, was a part of the Ten Pen South uh, thing that was going on that week as well, and so 
um, it, I mean, surrounded with friends and surrounded with the creative community. And like you said, it seems like everyone uh, was somehow connected to it and the emotions uh, were just running freely. It was a, it was a sad, hard week. Um, reeling, honestly, the, yeah. the town is reeling. And, and, and I, I came back uh, uh, kind of just continuing to, to feel the weight of it myself. Yeah, there's definitely a, a heaviness um, that is going to be around for a long time. And it, it's the kind of thing that just happens far too often. Uh, and then when it happens uh, in a in a place that you know and, and uh, touches the lives of, of people that you feel connected with, um, you know, it, it just feels a bit different. And I know that, you know, typically part one on this show is our time to uh, be goofy and, you know, uh, laugh about this or that or, or pontificate on something music related. But, you know, uh, uh, I think this is something that we have to address. And unfortunately, our country seems to be good at finding ways to, you know, demonize one another over things, you know, whether it be a, a pandemic or, or a school shooting. Um, you know, those are the kind of challenges that should be bringing us together um, mm. as a country. And Far too often, those are the things that divide us. And, you know, there are people who are mocked for offering thoughts and prayers. Um, There are those who, you know, refuse to acknowledge that maybe we have a a gun problem in the only developed nation where this kind of thing happens routinely. Um, There are those who, you know, maybe will say it's, it's all about mental health. And then there are people who kind of dismiss anything having to do with mental health as, you know, silly or, or ridiculous. Um, but, you know, at times like this, it's like, man, we we do need prayers. Uh, we do need to prioritize mental health. Um, and yes, we need common sense legal guardrails when it comes to to firearms. All of these things can be true yeah. at the same time. But when we live in a world that is so influenced by politicians and culture warriors and exploitive media outlets and lobbyists, you know, it's easy to feel overwhelmed and kind of just like, well, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. Um, and I would, would say there's a lot of work to do on a lot of fronts. Um, but whether you are on the political left or right or somewhere in between or maybe non-political at all. Um, there's something that every one of us can do right now that will very much practically help make a difference in the aftermath of this specific uh, terrible tragedy in Nashville. Yeah, there's a group called Daystar Counseling Ministries um, that actually both you and I were a part of yep. um, when we were in high school. And uh, it really helpful to me in, in terms of learning how to process my own emotions and mental health at that time in my life. And I know they've been continuing to do uh, great work in the Nashville community. And they are actually donating uh, counseling time to so the families that are uh, having to deal with this crisis, the families of Covenant Presbyterian School. Um, and they are actually taking donations so that, that we can help them provide this um, much-needed counseling for these families. Yeah, so if that's something that you would like to be a part of, um, as Paul said, we have a long history with Daystar. They've been a great um, bedrock in the Nashville community for kids and families uh, for years. They were prioritizing mental health long before anyone was talking about prioritizing mental health. And and these guys, uh, they know what they're doing. So you can go to Daystar Counseling. Dot com And uh, up in the right-hand corner, there's a donate button. So just click that, and then it will take you to a page where you can select the amount you'd like to donate. And then you'll choose the type of donation from a drop-down menu. And what you'll want to select, it says the Covenant School Fund. So it's very, very clear. Uh, select the Covenant School Fund. And then the money that you're donating will directly go to help those families because the 
for survivors, uh, there's a lot of um, just stuff to work through. There's trauma. There's, um, you know, the, those kids and those families are going to be living with the aftermath uh, of this for, for years. Um, and so uh, there's also a, a tab on the homepage on Daystar's website called um, Covenant Tragedy Help. And that offers advice and resources for talking with your own kids about these kind of tragedies. Uh, that's something that, you know, knowing how to, to talk to your own kids that might be in school about these type of things and, and doing so in an age appropriate way, that can be a challenge. So even if you're not in a position where you're able to, to donate right now, you might still find some of those Daystar resources helpful, uh, in your own life. So, um, we just, uh, you know, are hurting with yeah. our, our Nashville community. Um, we know a lot of you guys are too. Um, obviously, people listening to songwriting podcasts <laughs> probably have some connections uh, with Nashville in one way or another. And it's it's difficult to, to find a way to, to segue from this topic into, well, now let's talk about songs. Let's talk about music. But it's, it's interesting how today's episode lines up uh, with Brent Smith from the band Shinedown. Yeah. Um, in that mental health has been a priority for that band as well for uh, basically the entirety of their careers. And, and Brent talked about it with us at length um, yeah. when we spoke uh, a while back about just what his journey with it, um, his, his friends and family's journey with, with mental health and, and why that's such a priority in their music. So um, it, it did even feel sort of fitting to be able to lead into this conversation that way. Yeah, it's odd because we had had planned this uh, episode. We knew it was going to be the Brent Smith episode today, uh, several weeks back. So, um, but he and and the band Shinedown are active uh, spokespeople for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, and they um, proactively uh, work with that organization to uh, promote mental health and and mental health awareness. And um, you know, it's something we've got to start looking at. My my wife is a psychotherapist, so this, you know, is is an important topic. Um, we all need to think about our mental health. Mm. You know, there's nobody uh that that couldn't benefit from seeing a therapist. Um, you know, it, it, sometimes in the past that's been stigmatized maybe a little bit, but you know, we go to the the dentist to get our cleanings, we go to the doctor to get our annual physical and you know, there are times in life when we just need someone to to talk to. So, yeah. uh, whether you are directly affected by this tragedy, whether the tragedy just weighing heavy on you, or maybe you just need better communication with your, your spouse or your partner, uh, whatever it is, um, we've got to, to think about mental health and, and take it seriously and treat it like we do our, our physical health. Yeah. And one of the things that we talked about with Brent is even the the act of going to a show and how therapeutic that kind of activity is for people to sort of, you know, get some things out. And uh, I, being in Nashville this week, I was able to participate in a ride around uh, through Tin Pan South. And it was it was cathartic in a way for people to be able to express some emotions and, and talk about what's going on. There were, there were tears, um, all, you know, the people that were playing and the people that were listening. Um, and it's one of those things that it actually, it makes me really grateful for music. It makes me grateful for what it brings into our lives. Cause I, I believe we, we talk about music very technically yeah. here. We talk about chord progressions and we talk about, you know, how opportunities come about and we talk about tempos and things like that. But when it comes down to it, I really believe that, that, Music and art are spiritual pursuits mm. as much as anything. Um, and to realize how it connects with the spirit and with the mind, uh, uh, it was it was fun to even be able to talk about that, that aspect of it with Brent. Um, so I, I'm actually, at, at one point during the thing, I said, hey, I'm ready to go to a show now. <laughs> and I, and I kind of feel that way now. It's just, um, 
you know, those opportunities you get to be with one another, um, to participate in something, something beautiful or something loud or something aggressive or whatever it happens to be that, that kind of pulls those emotions and those, you know, it reaches those spiritual places in you. Uh, I'm just, I'm reminded again that, that even as we talk about music as if it's a mathematical or scientific pursuit, and it is a craft, um, that we are talking about something that is a part of the human experience. Yeah, there's something mystical about it. There's something um, that connects us in music. There's something holy about music. Um, and that's yet another uh, important building block in in mental health and healing and living life to the fullest is embracing what music does for us and you know what it does for our brains and our yeah. souls and and, uh, and and enriching our lives. So um, anyway, we just wanted to acknowledge uh, what had happened um, and and to be able to at least provide some practical way for folks to take some action to to help uh, those families living with the aftermath of this. So we hope you'll consider doing that. Uh, DaystarCounseling.com. Um, check that out. See if that's something that you want to be a part of. Uh, we feel good about um, what those guys are doing. And uh, we just um, thank you for uh, keeping Nashville in your thoughts and prayers and in whatever action you choose to take, because we need all of it. Part two. Brent, welcome to Songcraft. Thanks for having me. You guys uh, in the band Shinedown have a new album that came out in 2022 called Planet Zero. And uh, one of your quotes about the record is, this record is about not losing our humanity. It's about not bowing to chaos. Now, I paid attention the last couple years, and chaos, whatever do you mean? <laughs> well, it was the first album in the band's history uh, that was written in the midst of a global pandemic. Yeah. So it... it it was inspired by a lot of like very real and very true events that were happening at that time. And the thing about us is that we can't write unless we're commissioned to write for like a film or a television series or something that already has some kind of a bona fide script. Everything that we do comes from a very real place. It comes from scenarios, subject matter, situations, basically life lessons and just navigating this planet on a daily basis so we don't necessarily pull things out of thin air we have to build it off of certain things that we've actually experienced in our own lives yeah um but by far uh one of the most interesting albums to create was planet zero just because of the juxtaposition of i was in los angeles at the time and my other three guys were in different locations I ended up leaving in 2020. Um, I left on June 1st to get to South Carolina with our producer, bass player, Eric Bass. And, um, you know, just just getting there and, and trying to look at everything from a very broad perspective. The initial idea was let's write like a crystal ball method, which is right for three years from now. And then we tried to do that and it just wasn't working. I remember when Eric looked at me early on and said, it feels like we're on planet zero. Wow. And uh, that was a, that was a big thing. And we had to build a studio from the ground up because none of the studios anywhere on the planet was, were having people come in and 
So we just decided to take, uh, it took us eight weeks to build it. Uh, and we built the studio from the ground up on, on Eric's property. So there were oh. a lot of obstacles uh, in front of us to make this record. Wow. You know, and there are a lot of things about the album that feel like, you know, classic Shinedown. And then there's some things that were just surprises. I mean, from the very opening, that kind of synthy opening, which I'm sure a lot of listeners, you know, are like, what, what's what's about to happen here? Of course, then you go into just mm -hmm. like the heavy riff stomp, you know, rock that you're, you guys are so known for. song like Planet Zero that really could have only been written in in the time period it was written. But then I look at songs like yeah. The Symptom of Being Human, which feels like this is really, you know, talking about some of those issues of mental health and individuality that we see through so much of your work. And I know A Symptom of Being a Human is, uh, that's actually got some things that touch upon even the crew that you surround yourself with as a touring band, correct? Yeah, the, the initial and really the overall inspiration for A Symptom of Being Human, we wrote the song Planet Zero first, and then Symptom came directly after that. Hmm. Um, and what I was thinking about the most was our, our road crew. We're a band that has been talking about mental health for the better part of 20 years before it was brought to the media or that it was one of the things that was talked about more, which I'm glad that that is occurring now and there's a lot more expression when it comes to that because it's important just for all of our psyche to not keep things inside you have to you have to talk about these things some i've said it before the worst thing you can do sometimes from a mental standpoint in psychology is is stay quiet being quiet sometimes is not the right thing but all of these men and women that we've been working with some of them over a decade plus. We have a lot of lifers in our road crew, so people that have been with us from 10 years or longer. Um, all of a sudden, their entire industry was shut down, and they had no acknowledgement of when we would be able to go back to mass gatherings, or any gatherings for that matter. And just the dynamic of what that had to do to them psychologically, um, and ultimately, you know, during the pandemic, it was psychologically devastating for a lot of people. And so what I was thinking about more than anything was I wanted to create a song that didn't shy away from what people were probably experiencing from a psychological standpoint, but also to allow them to know that it's OK. It's OK to be frustrated. It's OK to be mad. It's OK to not understand why this is occurring. But you have to listen. You have to listen to the universe. Like people talk about how the internet is undefeated. It's not true. Mother Nature is undefeated. I can still remember me and Miss November rain. Beautiful and strange. awkward kind of weird upside down and not all here what's wrong with me and you 
But the thing about these men and women and how important they are to us, they build this city every day and then take it down. And then we move to the next city, to the next country. And they're a part of our livelihood. And we're known as a live band and known as a very hardworking, hard touring band. And these men and women behind the scenes are immensely crucial to what it is we do. But I wanted to give something that was kind of like a reset button. And it's interesting to hear people talk about Symptom now as it's been released and and it's moving in a lot of different circles at the moment that people have said to me, they'll put the song on when they think that they're gonna have a panic attack. Wow. And it will calm them and it'll calm them down. Hmm. Which was essentially what it was meant to do. Yeah. You know, it's it's always interesting to us to, you know, find out when you're talking to a creative person, somebody who writes songs, um, the things that motivate that person or the things that they are passionate about or, um, you know, issues that, that they want to explore. And, and you mentioned mental health, which is something that um, is important to, to you as a writer and to you guys as a band. I know that um, suicide prevention is um, definitely a, a big thing with you guys. Can you just share a little bit about, um, your own journey in terms of why speaking out about mental health and, and why addressing mental health um, is really crucial to not only who you are as a person, but also bringing that into your creativity. Well, there's a lot to unpack in that question. Um, the, the biggest principle would be, I'm going to be honest about it. A lot of people in my life Unfortunately, as I was growing up and as I was getting into the real music business and the real touring aspects, and I mean, it's pretty astonishing that we've just released our, we we now have 31 singles that we have released. Wow. And I think about the fact of over time, how some of the most important people in my life are no longer here because they felt like they couldn't talk about how they were feeling, that their mental capacity for life had changed, that they didn't really have a direction as to who to talk to, where they could go. Um, this dynamic that people are afraid or embarrassed to talk about the fact that they're emotionally going through a time in their life that they don't understand, they don't know why all of a sudden they just are sad or depressed or like they just don't feel like themselves. And if I'm being bold about it, a lot of people in my life uh, had tremendous amount of issues with substance abuse, me being one of them. Uh, I've lost a lot of people to suicide. I've, I've lost a lot of people um, 
And some people would say, yeah, but Brent, that's no fault of your own. And I understand that that might be the case. It still doesn't hurt any less right. that these people aren't that, that these people aren't with me anymore. Yeah. Uh, and that they were taken away much too soon. And I've made it my goal in a lot of ways. And I don't want to say that necessarily it's a mission, but. I've always talked about in these songs that we write that you have to fall in a hole to figure out how to get out of the hole sometimes. And you have to learn through experience what the world is trying to teach you inside of that. And the band, all four of us were ambassadors for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. We have been for over a decade. Uh, you know, working with that organization and international agencies that work in suicide prevention is something that we take very seriously because the percentage of suicide each year from a global standpoint isn't going down. It's going up. Yeah. And there's got to be a way to start making that percentage go down. And I think more than anything, where it starts is it starts with people talking to one another. It starts with people not being ashamed to talk about what they're going through. They don't need to feel embarrassed. They don't need to be in any juxtaposition because I know sometimes people will say, well, they're just trying to get sympathy or that person doesn't mean that they're just, they, no one's giving them any attention. So they're, they're saying that something's wrong because they're bored hmm. and that in and of itself, for somebody to say that out loud, you obviously are not looking at that individual for what they truly are trying to express, which is they're in trouble. Right. Like that. And people get terrified by that when you say it that point blank. But I've said it before and I'll say it again. These people are in trouble. They don't know where to go. Yeah. And you can't fix certain you can't fix certain things with a pill. You know what I mean? Right. You you have to be you have to be patient. So the music has always been something that. And and being the main lyricist in the band. I've just always been able to write it down and put it into a song form and put it into a way where it makes the person not want to keep it inside. It makes the person want to sing it out. Yeah. Like there's something about what we do where people identify with the subject matter in these songs. So the louder they sing, the better. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, and, and the shows, I'm sure, become cathartic experiences, not only for you, but for a lot of the people that, that come, you know, because they're, they're able to kind of, in a loud way, in an open way, and in a free way, kind of exercise some of these demons, you know. And, and yeah. I've always thought that it's, it's a much more, um, it's, it's just a much, much healthier way to process some of this stuff than trying to, you know, either put something in your arm or drink something or, you know, to, if, if music can provide you even the dopamine rush that's combined with some level of understanding that you're finding the lyrics, that's a pretty powerful combination. A million percent. It's, yeah. um, you know, what is interesting about the human spirit is that I try to make a point that we're all a work in progress. And that is a natural way of looking at it because you're not going to be the same person 10 years from now that you were five years ago 
there's an evolution that happens with with everybody because everyone's experiences are different. But what I've always learned and what I've what's always never left me for me personally, something that I've always had is I look at music as medicine. It's never left me from the moment I entered the earth. It's been with me and, and not so much music, but like songs. And I'm very much into what is the individual saying in the song? What is the message? So that's always been something that's driven me from day one. I started writing songs when I was 10 years old. Um, and it's just something that's always been there for me. When everybody else left me or when I was left to my own devices, it, you know, I always I had a friend in rock and roll. I had a friend in jazz. I had a friend in metal. I had a friend in, you know, even pop music, country music. Like I'm genreless. That's the way I look at it. Like I, I don't like being put in a box. And I don't think music should be put into a box either. I think you should be able to explore all different variations at all times. I have a 15-year-old son who, you know, all of his friends, they're all Generation Z. It is so refreshing to see the younger generation not care about a born-on date hmm. on a song. They don't care when it came out. <laughs> like it, it, If they like it or they're into it, it doesn't matter if it came out in the 70s or the 80s or, or what have you. Look at Kate Bush. Look at Metallica yeah. with Stranger Things. Yeah. I mean, not that Metallica needs any more help necessarily, but it opens up uh, a different door. I'm just watching uh, this new series from the video game, The Last of Us. And that third episode, when they used Linda Ronstadt, in 24 hours, she had a 4,900% increase on Spotify. That's, right. That's amazing. Yeah. You know, so not to get off the subject matter here, but no, actually, that I mean, that kind of is the subject matter. I mean, when when you mentioned ten year old you, I mean, that, I, I'm like, you know, I want to know more about that. Who were those bands? Who were the earliest influences for you? Um, you know, not only as a listener, but it, that started to get into your head and think maybe I can do this. Who who were those bands and artists that you were looking to? Probably the very first time, like my youngest memory that I have is. Um, and it wasn't so much the music, but the youngest memory I have for a song was the Dukes of Hazard. oddly <laughs> enough. Waylon Jennings. And it was Waylon Jennings. Yeah. And it didn't necessarily have anything to do with the show. It just had to do with the theme song. Like, I just, I was like, what is that? Like, what is, that person's kind of talking, but they're <laughs> not talking and they're rhyming thing. Like, I didn't even know what a rhyme was. I'm, I'm, I'm probably three or four years old at this time like that's my earliest memory wow um and so as i moved in from that uh when i was 10 years old i was in the fifth grade and we had a great music teacher in my elementary school and she was very i look back at it now she was very um let's just say she was very organic she's very holistic she's very much about music <laughs> as a music teacher should be yeah. <laughs> um but on fridays she would allow everybody to bring in a tape or and at the time I'm dating myself, but at the time, like the most current thing, CDs were starting to happen, but it was mainly just cassettes or vinyl. And this, this kid brought in appetite for destruction hmm. by guns and roses. And I'll never forget that, like, everybody was just playing around and, and doing instruments and stuff like that. And she would always put the music for whoever brought music in that day. She she picked something, she put it in the cassette thing, and 
You know, the class was like, I don't know, 45 minutes. And everybody was just like banging on instruments and being silly and being kids and this and that and the other. But when that record came on, like, and obviously it starts with Welcome to the Jungle. And then it moves into It's So Easy. And then it moves in. So like, I just sat in front, I remember sitting in front of this boom box while all the other kids were like doing other things and just being completely blown away because an entire new world had just opened up. And a lot of it had to do with like the sound of the record. I'd never heard anyone, the language, like the, and the teacher, I remember like, she didn't even, it, it, I'm like looking around, <laughs> like, does everybody, like, is anybody else listening to this? <laughs> you know? And, uh, and it, it was, it was such a monumental moment for me, like listening to that record. And that was probably one of the biggest things that, was my jumping off point to like start writing words wow. and to start putting it into a melody and starting to kind of go through all that. And honestly, if I move into my teenage years, when I was 14, 15 years old, um, I was so into like grindcore and thrash and, and punk rock. I mean, I was into like the dwarves and the exploited and operation Ivy. And I was listening to Gigi Allen and I was, uh, <laughs> Just going down, you know, this, you know, Wendy O. Williams, all that. I remember my dad coming into my room one day and being like, Brent, I, I have no idea why these people are so mad. <laughs> but <laughs> he was like, I want to give you something. And he gave me a cassette. And I was like, what is this? He was like, just just take a minute and listen to it. You know, when, whenever you want. And he left the room and I threw it like in the corner <laughs> a couple of weeks went by and I'm like cleaning my room out or whatever. And I come across this tape and what the tape was, was an anthology of a guy named Otis Redding. Oh, wow. And Otis Red and Otis Redding completely opened up this other world where all of a sudden I was listening to a voice being used as an instrument. Mm. And because Otis Redding got me to Al Green, which got me to Marvin Gaye, which got me to Sam Cooke. Sam Cooke got me to Nina Simone, which got me to Billie Holiday, which got me to Ella Fitzgerald. And it, it just kind of all went from there. Wow. And so I kind of went backwards. Like, I didn't listen to the Beatles until I was 24 years old. Wow. Like, huh. I didn't know anything about them. Yeah. I listened to the White, I remember I listened to the White record, um, like, I think it was like the day after my 24, my 24th birthday because a friend of mine had gotten me the record wow. for my birthday. Huh. And uh, so, yeah, just, it, it was always about lyrics. It was always about the message, but it was the attitude also like Miles Davis. I talked about jazz a little, a little while ago and I know jazz is, you know, it's not very necessarily all the time. When you think of traditional jazz, you don't think of a vocalist, right? Right. But that's not the way that I look at it. And, like Miles Davis, I'll never forget. He said, if you're going to tell a story, tell it with some attitude. <laughs> and that that just took me down. And from a more current aspect of that, I mean, God rest her soul, the last person in modern day that I can think of that used her voice in jazz as an instrument and then became so massive in pop culture was Amy Winehouse. Yeah. You know, the, the kind of thread uh, through... 
shine down is your voice. You are a, a great vocalist and it's super interesting to hear you talk about, you know, mentioning Nina Simone and Sam Cooke and, and people that uh, I might not have necessarily assumed would have been, you know, inspirational for you. And that's, that's fascinating. It, it's, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and you talked about like, you know, for you, it's a lot about the, the lyric and, and what, you know, what the message is, what the song is saying, you know, but I listened to a song like second chance, which is probably one of your, your best known songs. way that you write lyrics sometimes can be a bit opaque and you know sometimes your lyrics are uh not the easiest to to decipher you know and and what i mean by that is i think you don't want to just hit people over the head with stuff you don't want to be uh overly blunt um you want to bring that kind of poetic element to it talk a bit about how you approach lyrics and and how you think about you know communicating through song even sometimes in ways that aren't super obvious well the first thing that i try to always keep in the forefront of my mind you know when i'm writing a song or when i'm in the middle of putting a record together or an album together or if i'm even working with outside songwriters or they're working with me and we're doing something together is if this was your last day on earth what would you say hmm. and you're not wrong in regards to kind of the etherealism that I use in my lyrics and the metaphors and how I kind of put things together. You know, I'm a big, um, I'm a lover of Nietzsche. I have been since I was a kid. You know, a lot of these like psychology and philosophies and things like that. I started learning about those types of people like way early, like Nietzsche, for example, you know, my favorite quote of all time came from him where he said, without music, life would be a mistake. Huh, yeah. And I love that. It's yeah. it's kind of my mantra in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, you you also want the listener to be able to identify themselves in the song as well. You don't want to be so literal sometimes, not, not all the time, but it depends on what you're writing for. Mm. Um, and so I don't look at it as like an assignment unless, like I was saying earlier, if I'm writing for a television series or if I'm writing a song for a film or what have you. A good example of that is Sylvester Stallone and the song Diamond Eyes for the movie Expendables. Like he came to us, wanted us to write a song for this film. He gave us the the, the landscape and told us what he kind of wanted. He actually was extremely helpful in his direction and how he wanted the song to be. And he gave references and things of that nature. So that was a lot easier because we kind of worked off of what he wanted. So that was a little bit more black and white. smoke in your eyes I am the ghost 
with our records and what have you is we're trying to never make the same record twice and we're trying not to write the same song over and over and over yeah. again right so you kind of have to be pretty bold and pretty broad and i will go back and i will listen to the other albums and see like what we've spoken about how we've spoken about it where the juxtaposition was at that point in time and where i am now yeah, yeah. um so you you have to concentrate you, you, you really have to concentrate. And if you're being literal, you know, there's no handbook. Right. There's not like an instruction manual. I know that there's a lot of stuff online, like how to write a song. There's <laughs> no, there's no instruction manual. Yeah. You, you, the only way to get good at it is you got to do it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. You got to write a lot. Same thing with playing live. I tell people all the time, um, you know, the, the Grammy Association has always been really, really great with me and allowed me to come and speak at certain things, especially with like the youth and kids that want to like get into music. And what are the main things that are the most important for that? And the most important things are write your own songs, make sure you own your publishing. And remember it's that remember that business is in the title of music business. <laughs> so, yes, there's an art form to it, but you also have to understand, you know, what you're actually doing and if you actually want to make a living at it. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to the actual songs themselves and the writing of that, you got to play live a lot. You got to yeah. write a lot of songs. I tell people write a hundred songs. You hope you wrote 10 really good ones. You pray you wrote one that's just phenomenal. And then you write a hundred more. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I love what you said about going back and listening to the previous records because you want to remember what you've done, where you've been, what new ground you might want to push into. And this, this is a question that might put you on the spot a little bit as you have listened back to some of your earlier work. I'd love to know one song that you, when you go back and listen to it, that you just go, man, I knocked it out of the park. I almost can't believe that was me. And I'd love to know one song that you kind of go, ah, I wish I could, wish I could have the chance to rewrite that one. Cause I think I could think I could do a better angle on it now. That is a really interesting question. I've never been asked that before. <laughs> um, I'm modest, man. I don't know if I can tell you a song and it's not because I'm trying to be difficult. It's just the, my personality. I don't know if I can, look at a song where i was like wow i really knocked it out of the park <laughs> that's, that's just i just don't look at it like that right I, I mean so i'll tell you this i'm the most proud of currently of symptom of being human i know that that's the newest song but i'm the most proud of it because one thing i'm not doing in that song necessarily like you were saying is I'm not necessarily dancing around the subject matter there. I'm putting it in a poetic 
I'm transcribing it, if you will, in a poetic way, but it's something very relatable to society right now and in the world that we live in. And so I'm the most proud that that is being taken very seriously, not just quote unquote in maybe the, the, the genres of like the rock world, but that that song is being presented to the masses. It's not being, it's not formulaic. It's being introduced to everyone. Um, and then a song that I don't necessarily know if I would rewrite it, but it's a song that I shake my head at. And this would be the only time that I would ever say that there was a song on a record that was like filler. And there's a song on the first album, which by the way, May 27th of this year, it is insane that I'm saying this. It's the 20 year anniversary of our debut wow. album. <laughs> uh, there's a song on that record called Lacerated that I think the world would have been better off without. <laughs> <laughs> not that it's it's not that it's a terrible song necessarily. It's just not something that I would say is like my proudest moment. Right, right. <laughs> well, you know, that that's around the time that I first found out about Shine Down. 45 was the first song that I heard. I remember hearing it on like modern rock radio and I was just like I was first of all I was like who who what is this voice coming out of my radio right now? I mean it was just kind of it just kind of arrested me. And that's a song that has that that metaphor ab about the 45 because I've I've seen that you've say that it's you know you don't want it to be necessarily always taken literally in terms of that someone is holding a gun in that song but that there is some metaphorical aspects to it but there was also kind of yeah. a dust up uh, with MTV surrounding that song can can you tell us a bit more about that yeah they had no problems putting out the video for Jay Z's 99 problem but a bitch ain't one um, but they had a they had a problem with and I'm staring down the barrel of a 45. And they wouldn't play the video. Wow. You know, they were like, yep. They were like, we'll play it. And they did actually, to their credit, they played it, but they edited out that line. So you literally had, and um, wow. 40, you know what I mean? Like the whole they line. cut the hook. Wow. Like, so when, when you did watch it, and nothing against MTV. MTV, they're, they're great. They really are. I got nothing against them. But... At the time, it just goes to show you that it was the way that it was being said that they were like, we can't put that out. Mm. Like we because they were like, that's too literal. Right. But to me, I was also like, are you not going to give me an opportunity to talk about what it's about? And that was during the era of MTV when it was still relevant in regards to like music videos and things like that. Like YouTube didn't exist at that right. point. Um. And so for me, that song, and I'm on record saying this, the 45 in the song, for, for me personally, how it was written, the 45 isn't a gun. The 45 in the song is the world. 
That's the 45. Like it's any, you're staring down your life. You're staring down all of these, you know, moments at any given time where you are going to be throwing curveballs at, at every turn. Yeah. And it's just something that I guess maybe I was a little bit more in tune to, to my emotions at a younger age. Um, and I just looked at certain things, you know, in that chorus, you know, I'm staring down the barrel of a 45 swimming through the ashes of another life. No reason, you know, no real reason to accept the way things have changed staring down the barrel of a 45. That's somebody that is facing adulthood. Yeah. Like I, I think about like where I was and that was me being terrified to grow up. Like I got to grow up now and I'm just putting it all out there. It's interesting that you compare adulthood to a 45 because now that I'm in my 40s, I feel like I've been shot most of the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man, it can happen. (laughs) You know, I know we're jumping around a lot in terms of eras and records, but, you know, back to the new record, and and you were mentioning about Symptom of Being Human being, you know, you're sort of proud that you weren't sort of redoing any parts of your past, that it felt like an original and and a new thing. And, you know, from a production standpoint, it is as well. And and there have been different producers through the life of Shine Down. These last couple you mentioned uh, were kind of produced uh, with with your bass player from within the band, rather than an outside perspective coming in. Um, I'm curious about how that has changed the process of making records for you. Well, the first thing is is that I'm not going to throw this term around too too lightly. I'm gonna I'm gonna be very very literal about it because, in my opinion, Eric Bath is a literal savant on so many levels um and when he came into the band during the the sound of madness era when he arrived um it was very very quickly noticed that he's on a different level man and um his mother was a music instructor and a vocal teacher and a piano teacher so he has perfect pitch i'm not saying that to be like oh yes but he literally to the point where it annoys him. It might annoy you like, too, as the vocalist, having to, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, and he and he does, and uh, he's actually really, really good with me, though, for the most part. He's always like, "You're," he's always like, "Dude, you're, you're ninety percent of the time you're on." But he'll even tell you like it's it's a bit of a curse. Mm, yeah, you know, and he plays eleven different instruments, and he plays them fluently. Wow, wow. Um, and he has a crazy, crazy singing voice. Like he can hit like he can hit some high register shit that is way, way stratospheric. Wow. Um and uh and, and it's 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 quite inspiring to work with, to yeah. be honest with you. You know, at the beginning he was like a song here, a song there, he was writing songs and things of like that, but like to take the helm as the main producer and also being the main engineer, um and all of that it's a lot when a producer is in the band it just so happens that the producer is in the band it yeah. just so happens that not only is he in the band but he's playing live he's he's doing all the recording in the studio he's doing the mixing he's doing the engineering like he's in every single aspect of it you got to put a lot of trust in that but he shines yeah in those moments yeah he really does he's a, he's an incredible producer yeah i uh... 
on that record, you know, there's some some really cool songs. One of the ones that stands out to me is Daylight, which, you know, I hear a little almost like Queen and Coldplay kind of influences along with, you know, your own unique stamp. It's it's a very cool vibe. I was diagnosed with a fear of getting too close. Had to tell the ones I love I was on the ropes. I'm not the only one whose life's been pulled apart. Spending one year and three months in the dark. So here we are, all dressed to kill. Where should we go? Into the wild again to face the great unknown and have the midnight conversations you and I postpone. You saved my life, not once but twice. You keep me free from falling. You saved my it all alright And I don't feel like talking You make sure I always see the daylight I've heard you say that that, that song uh, was I think uh, a gift to the record was your words because it it kind of came together in like less than half an hour and you know some people write typically very quickly some people you know work on a song and refine it over days or weeks or months uh, when it comes to your general songwriting process are you somebody that um, has a particular discipline where you say, Hey, I'm going to at least just work on, you know, music during this time each day, or do you kind of wait for that inspiration to strike? Is it a situation where things tend to come quick for you or do you kind of labor over them and sculpt them? Or is there a, a typical for you or is it just all different? Once again, it kind of goes back to, there's not necessarily a roadmap or an instruction manual. Um, with songwriting, you have to let it happen. I think, for me, what's worked is it, there has to be a natural reason to be doing it. Yeah. Um, some songwriters, they got to write every day. Um, when I'm I, during the writing process for an album, I we have a thing in the band where like when we're in the studio, we're in the studio. If we're on the road, we're on the road. Like I don't write on the road. Yes. I can't really. I don't have the mindset for it. Um I have to look at everything and compartmentalize certain things. But when I talk about songs being a gift, like 45, for example, was a gift. That song came out of like nowhere. It just, it yeah. just, it just is like it wrote itself. And the same thing with Daylight. And Daylight was the first time that we had done, there are four writers on Daylight. So there's myself, Zach, uh, Zach Myers, Eric, and Dave Bassett. And I know I say the name Dave Bassett a lot. He's kind of like the fifth member of the band. Um, from like the Sound of Madness record on, Dave is always a part of the writing process of this band. In some form or another, he comes into the fold when we are making a record. It's just, it's symbiotic. We were meant to find each other. The universe put us together. Um, and so there are moments where you're really, really paying attention 
And when you're in a writing session, you know, you're there to do the session and you want to get something that day. Some songs we will labor on for days at a time. Some songs we'll go back to them after a couple of weeks. You know, we're in a we're in a place now with our career where we can kind of do that if we need to. But most of the time you want to build up the momentum to the song. You want to, you know, have the lyrics going. But if you have a good melody, but you can't think of anything to say just yet, that's okay. Yeah. Like if the melody is strong and the and you and you remember the melody, a lot of times stream of consciousness will happen days after if you were having a hard time getting the lyric the lyric will come to you when you least expect it mm -hmm. and then some days man you get a gift and it just like it writes itself well, yeah yeah you know i'm thinking about those production elements uh in in this new record and you know even mentioning sort of some some of the queen feel that we hear sometimes you, you guys don't always lean on heavy guitars i mean I would say, by and large, a lot of your stuff is, is pretty heavy in terms of the riffs and stuff. But even uh, all the way back to a song like um, Call Me in the early days, um, you know, you guys have had pianos and strings and things like that. I've said it so many times I would change my ways, no, never mind God knows I've tried At what point does that enter the conversation for you, thinking about production? Do you start off a song thinking, oh, this is definitely going to stay acoustic, this is definitely going to stay mellow? Or there are times when you have to sort of restrain yourself, like, oh my gosh, it'd be great to stack 12 guitars on this thing, but let's let's hold off, you know? I mean, is there a process to that, or does it also change from song to song? A lot of times you have to listen to the song. The song will talk to you and tell you what it needs. Mm. Um, you'll try it different ways. You'll record it different ways. We, you know, we come from an era also too, where like you used to have to go through a demo phase before you actually got a producer right. on board. And then that producer didn't want you to go too crazy with the demo because they wanted to be able to see inside the song what may not be there. As long as the bones were there, that's all you needed. The problem with that is a lot of producers aren't good at getting an acoustic demo on like a tape recorder and a song's laid out and they can see what the song can be um, if it's not kind of laid out in some right. form of recording that kind of sounds like it's done. Right. Um, and, and we don't like, there's no such, by the way, like, I don't even think that there's such a thing anymore as a demo song. Like, because a lot of times with us, we were one of those bands that we got so good at the quote unquote demo sessions on things that the demo sounded like record. Right. Like the demos are because you were working with an ever changing industry and producers. And obviously, like when streaming came in and you didn't need a giant studio to mm -hmm. do music, you could do it on a laptop. You could like put things together and you could make it sound big. Um and uh, it was all just like the techniques that you would use, the plugins and, and things of that nature. Now, like recording 
plugins are extraordinary. Yeah. Um, however, I will tell you this, and it's not because I'm biased. You can't make records sound like our records unless you do it in a studio. Because right. you have to have air hmm. pumping through those speakers. You have to have people in the room. You have to turn the beat detective off. You're not going to get any push and pull. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're not going to get any. You wonder why everything sounds like a computer. Well, it's because the computer gridded it right. and it's mechanical. Yeah. And some songs are meant to sound like that. And some songs, that's all fine and good. And there are ways to massage certain songs here and there when it comes to that. But the reality also is there's not really such a thing as a demo form anymore. Um, but we were one of those bands that we started to get good at what we could do on a laptop. And we started to get good with what we could do in like a writing session because as long as you had, you didn't need a drum, you didn't need, like Barry didn't have to come in and play drums on everything when you're trying to work out a part, you know, you just beat, you you just use the keyboard, drum machine it, and lay out the parts, you know? A lot of times what we would do too, with like the layers and things of that nature, when it came to the drums, for example, we wouldn't like, we never wanted to like tie Barry's feet together. We wanted to kind of give him a layout for certain things and then present it to him and then he could put himself on it um but once again it kind of goes back to there's not necessarily a roadmap all the time if the song is screaming at you that i need more give it more if the song is saying that's too much take some away yeah it's you know once you write it the song that is it become you you've given birth to it yeah yeah and yeah. so you have to you have to nurture it enough so that it's ready to be presented to the world. And the other thing that's interesting now that's even more pretty awe-inspiring is that you have this younger generation of kids. Like I tell people, and people my own age, I turned 45 this year, and uh, some of the people that I came up with that are still truest when it comes to their songs and all those different things, they see their stuff go on TikTok and they speed it up or they you know change things or they do duets and this and that and the other there's some people in that mindset where they're like don't mess with my song i'm like no man you want them to mess with your song mm. you want them to like be inspired by it that's yeah. them being creative also you want to be able to that's actually i think that's amazing actually yeah, yeah. um that we live in a, a a realm now where there's this ownership that these kids and 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 people my age too but there's such a, a community in music now that is just genreless and limitless yeah. and everyone from anywhere at any time is welcome to it. However you can get your music out there, I think you should you shouldn't be biased, man. You should you should give it to the world, man. Once you write it and you put it out there, it doesn't belong to you anymore. Hmm. It belongs yeah. to them. Yeah. 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 Um you know, you talk about appetite for destruction being the thing that first, like, you know, really turns you on your on your ear, so to speak. And, you know, like Axl Rose, you are very much that rock 
front man. You know, we see you on stage singing and, and leading the band. Um, you know, don't don't really see you like playing guitar, or playing instruments or that kind of thing in, in a live setting. Um, and I'm curious if you when it comes to songwriting, do you play a little guitar or, or keyboard or do you primarily focus on the on the lyrics? What, what's kind of, you know, when something comes to you, how do you kind of capture that and, and then work with the band to to bring that vision to life? So one of the things that I'll use now is I'll go into GarageBand and build out a track that's very basic. If I have a melody idea or what have you, it's just enough where I can find the key and see like where it sits at. And I'll like, I'm a blueprint writer is what I call myself um, when it comes to the the musical side of it. So I do play guitar. Um, again, I'm more of a blueprint writer. Like I don't know how to play anybody else's material. The only thing I know how to do is pick up a guitar and like, find whatever i'm coming up with i can find it on the guitar yeah um but not in a way where i'm like a virtuoso or anything like that i mean definitely from a songwriting power chord kind of juxtaposition um just finding the rudiment notes and, and kind of like what i want to do my strength is on the lyric and the melody right um so like when somebody will send me it like if somebody shows me a, a track um I can sit down and kind of figure out what to do over it. I can always go back into and say like, Hey, this key's a little funky. Can we drop it down? Or, Hey, let's do it in a major instead of a minor or do it in a minor instead of a major. Um, right. It also depends on like, if we're in 440 standard, and I want to drop it down. I'm able to be able to have that kind of language with musicians and talk to them in that, in that nature. But a lot of times for me, it, it's mainly coming down to I'm using my voice as the instrument mm. and the lyrical aspect of it is probably where my strength is at. Yeah. yeah. It's one of the reasons why I don't play. The reason I don't play anything live is because I would consider myself a front man. I don't necessarily consider myself a musician. I'm a performer. Like when I'm on stage, mm. um, there's still a lot of musicality as into what I'm doing, but the reality of that also is um, I'm trying to do something that I don't need to be inhibited by something in front of me. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people will say like the guitar in front of them or what have you is just there for emotional support when they're in front of a hundred thousand people. Yeah. You know, all right. I'm kind of the opposite. I'm like, I'm all or nothing. Wow. So if I was going to play guitar on stage, I'd play it from the moment I got on stage to the end. Yeah. And there's also something, you know, I come from a school of front men and front women being performers. You know, I come from the Freddie Mercury school. And, you know, I think that uh, it's just, you know, it's very original to me. Like, like my instrument, I guess you would say is, the microphone. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, last question for you. Um, you guys have more or less dominated the mainstream rock charts since you've been making music. I mean, every, everything you put out charts and it charts high. Um, and Scott and I are both, we're, we're music fans across the board, but I think we'd call ourselves rock guys first and foremost, the stuff we came up on, the influences that we had. And there's a, you know, it's much is made these days about the future of rock or, you know, is is rock dead is rock, you know, what it was, you know, and even when you talk about, you know, these new avenues of people finding music of, you know, whether on TikTok or whatever, 
with the success that you guys had with the standard bearers that, that you've been for rock for, you know, like you said, 20 years now, do you feel any kind of pressure in terms of keeping rock alive? Do you feel like part of a movement that's still holding on to something that needs to be preserved, that needs to be presented to a new generation, and needs to be carried forth? Um, or you just make records and let the chips fall where they fall? Wow, that's a pretty, that's a, that's a bold question, actually. Um, like I said earlier, I am never not going to be rock and roll to the bone. Um, but the thing about rock is that I feel like rock and roll was ultimately, when you look at everything music related and you look at, because some people look at rock and there's, there's rock, there's pop rock, there's like hard rock, then there's like heavy metal and there's different versions of metal which a lot of times people will think some metal well that's really rock and that's you know what i mean it just depends on how you right. look at it um the thing about the term rock and roll is that i don't look at it necessarily as a genre of music anymore i look at rock and roll as a way of life i mean even when nwa were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Ice Cube got up on the podium and he said, rock and roll is the spirit. And I, cause I know some people with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, they're like, what is Eminem, you know, doing in there? And what is, you know, Missy Elliott? And I'm like, that's rock and roll. Mm -hmm. Like th those people are on the, just cause it doesn't have a guitar in it necessarily. Right. Although Lose Yourself, which is one of the greatest songs ever written, has a guitar <laughs> right a very a very rocked out guitar you know look at you know aerosmith and run dmc you know all these yeah. dynamics and what have you so what i'm getting at here is do I, I i hold the responsibility to the format yes as ultimately being the band that has the most number ones in north america on billboard mainstream and active rock having the most number ones on that chart yeah man i feel like that there's a responsibility to keep the bar as high as possible. Yeah. Um, but inside of that too, it goes back to, like Ice Cube said, you know, rock and roll is the spirit, man. Rock and roll is a way of life yeah. for people. And the great thing about rock and roll too, just from a symbolism standpoint, the rock and roll community is humongous. <laughs> it's massive. Yeah. And yeah. anyone from anywhere at any time is welcome yeah. and, and what i mean by that too is like it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman whether you're younger whether you're older the color of your skin that's irrelevant your religion that's up to you that's what makes you who you are that's why you are an individual rock and roll is for everyone mm -hmm. nice. everyone and it's a community that if you want to come in to that community it's there, man. Like, come one, come all. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm fired up. I want to go to a show now. <laughs> right? Well, the uh, the new record is Planet Zero. Uh, Brent, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. And uh, we've really enjoyed ourselves talking with you today. Thank you guys so much, man. I had such a blast doing this with you today. Those were great questions too, man. It was really, really an honor to be here with both of you guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening. To make sure you don't miss an episode of Songcraft, Please take a moment right now to subscribe to the show via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can keep up with us on Instagram at Songcraft Conversations, 
or Facebook at Songcraft Show. To join our team and help support our content, become a Songcraft patron at patreon.com. Visit patreon.com slash songcraftshow. And you can always find us at songcraftshow.com. 